Our epistle reading today comes to us from Romans chapter 8 and is the basis for today's message. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning, this ongoing study of the book of Romans. Studying Romans is is sort of like enrolling in a graduate level course in theology. It's the most sustained explanation of the heart of the gospel and the most thrilling exploration of how that gospel actually goes to work in our hearts. The first seven chapters explain these wonderful truths of justification by faith, of of union with Christ, of, of salvation through Christ alone and not through our works. Those chapters have it all there and they have it in great depth as you all have experienced these past weeks. Today we turn the corner in chapters 8 through 16. Paul is now going to continue to answer a question that he began to ask back in chapters 5 through 7. How does faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ actually lead to change? in real life. Now to step in to our first lesson of that real change in our everyday life, we have to we have to step back to chapter 8 verse 5 which we didn't read this morning here it's for you on the screen. Now last week it became very obvious That although we have indeed been made right with God, although Jesus' death on the cross has destroyed the power of sin over us, we have been set free from our slavery to sin. Living in this broken mess of a world, we still struggle with sin every day of our lives. The good that I would, that I do not. And the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So Lois and I have been wandering the trails of the desert southwest and the mountains of the Canadian west. And each day, Lois researched and identified possible places to explore and to discover. And trust me that without her, I would probably just sit and stare at the wall, locked in that loop of, I don't know, what do you want to do today? (laughs) 
The point is that because of her diligence, there was a purpose. There was a path to follow. There was a destination and a rich reward of accomplishment. And of course, many, many photographs. Look, when it comes to faith, following Jesus, living in the reality of the kingdom of God, which is the world put right, it is easy to find yourself without a daily purpose, without a path to follow, with no destination in mind at all, and therefore lacking the rich reward of all that it means to have your heart awakened to the power of life in Christ. So take a walk with me this morning. Let's go discover the purpose, the path, the destination, and the rich reward of faith in Jesus. First of all, let's talk about our purpose. Our purpose as human beings. We were created to live in face-to-face real presence of God and to enjoy Him forever. And Paul uses the term the flesh in Romans to refer to everything that falls short of that purpose. Look, the flesh is our fallen nature that instinctively believes that we can actually be our own God, that we can be in control, and the flesh will stop at nothing to try and achieve that. Now, I'm not going to belabor that point. We spent the last uh, six weeks (laughs) on it, and it's been a long uphill slog. So let's go find the path, the path that leads us out of death into life. Now, Pastor Tig laid this out beautifully last week when he described this little progression here to live by the Spirit is, first of all, seeing the need to change. Secondly, desiring to actually change and then being willing to do whatever it takes to change And trusting Jesus, that only what he has done makes it possible for me to change. Now, you see the words in this verse, put to death, in the original Greek language. This is a very strong, you might even say this is a violent word. It means to grab sin by the throat in your life and kill it. The old King James Version translated it to mortify. So let's do this. We'll step back. Let's take take it and apply mortification, put it to death to this little four-step process that Pastor Tig taught us last week. The first one is, is seeing the need to change. And here's what the flesh does. 
This is the problem called self-righteousness. And I think we ought to be brutally honest with ourselves this morning that most of us who have grown up in the church, who in fact are pretty decent people, who after all are sitting here this morning, struggle with this problem of the flesh. I don't, I don't really see that I need to change it that much. Now you, on the other hand, that's a whole nother issue. Secondly, we live according to the flesh when we don't really, really, really desire to change. I mean, we may see the consequences. We may say that we need it to change. We might even see what our selfishness, our overindulgence in this or that or the other thing does to us and to others. But hey, come on now. Jesus died for me. He forgives me and it's not really hurting anybody anyway. It's called cheap grace and it is the question that Paul asked at the beginning of chapter 6. Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound by no means, people, mortify it. Grab it by the throat and kill it. Thirdly, being willing to do whatever it takes to change. Now, the flesh is going to grab hold of that and turn you into an overzealous fanatic. Either driving yourself to the point of exhaustion or demanding that everybody else be trying as hard as you are. And the fourth one, believe it or not, your flesh and mind will even grab a hold of trusting in Jesus as the one who has done all that it takes to make change possible. And once you start to experience some improvement, the flesh will fix your eyes on your improvement, which can only be done if you take your eyes off Jesus. As one fallen, reformed sinner once put it, the worst thing that ever happened to me in my Christian life is that I started to become a better person. And all of a sudden, I didn't need Jesus quite as much as I did yesterday. Do you see where this is going? Even our efforts to change fall prey to the flesh. So what do we do? Is there a path that leads out? Well, yes. Look, be led by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is present in the water of your baptism, in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, the Word of God in all of its various forms, in the mutual conversations about your faith with other believers, and in prayer. This is why I love being a Lutheran Christian. For while the work of the Holy Spirit is mysterious, how he works is not a mystery. He tells us. We call them the means of grace, the vehicles by which the Holy Spirit promises 
to come to us, to get inside of us, to work the change that we need, the change that we desire, the change that we're willing to do anything to accomplish, the ability to trust in Jesus. So, remember your baptism every time you see or taste or touch or smell or hear water. Worship regularly and receive Jesus' body and blood in and with and under the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. Be in the Word. Now, I used to get tired of hearing that. My first district president after I graduated from seminary was the Reverend Dr. Al Berry. And virtually every time that I heard this man speak, he would encourage people to spend time in the Word. But you know what I've learned? There's no one right way of being in the Word. And the biggest discovery for me personally is that I actually do better listening than I do reading. And all of a sudden, the number of resources that are available to us today is almost, almost limitless. So people start somewhere. Getting into the Word can be daunting at first because there's so much history. There's so much context to wrap wrap your head around. But don't give up because being in the Word is cumulative. You keep adding and adding and you'll never exhaust all that there is to learn. And it's also self-perpetuating because the more that that you learn, the more you want to learn. Get into the Word. Preferably with someone who is ahead of you in their knowledge and understanding of the word, but also bring along someone who is behind you because the teacher always learns more than the student. The purpose? To be fully human, made right with God, striving to be right with one another and right with the whole universe. The path? Be led by the Spirit to Jesus. So now let's get to the destination. Now I would like to try and make this as practical as possible. So look, whenever you are experiencing negative emotions, stop and take a look around for something that you need to mortify. Something that you need to grab by the throat in your life and kill it. When you are irrationally angry, when you are fearful or or badly worried, when you become despondent or you start hating yourself, you need to stop and ask yourself some basic questions. Is there something that I am telling myself that I have to have? Is that why I'm so angry, so worried, so down? Because I have lost or failed at something I think is a necessity when it actually is not. Now, I hate using this example because it risks trivializing what I'm talking about. 
but so many of you have resonated with it, especially in the male gender, that it makes the point. And Lois and I just spent three weeks together in a car with me driving. And for 44 years, I have grown irrationally angry when she grabs the armrest, when she applies the imaginary brake on her side of the car, or she says in a startled voice, whoa! When I finally, a few years back, stopped to look at my irrational anger, I discovered I have invested a lot of my masculine identity in my ability to drive and in my need for Lois to approve and appreciate it. And her reaction at that moment robs me of both my identity and my need for approval and my anger is ugly. But guess what? I'm getting better. She'll be here at 11. You can ask her. Look, examine your anger. Examine your worry. Examine your self-loathing. Where is it coming from? And now turn around. Repent. Turn around. And behold the face of your loving Heavenly Father, not scowling at you, but smiling at you because you are made right by the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he is your Abba, your Father. And then feel the Father sweep you up in his arms and brush you off and give you words of encouragement, maybe some admonition and wisdom. And then see him in your mind's eye set you back on your feet, steady you, and turn you loose again to live this life of freedom and joy and sacrifice and renewal. The witness of the Holy Spirit with your spirit is an internal testimony based on the external means of grace. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, it, it means that through the regular remembrance of your baptism, the reception of the Lord's Supper, the Word of God in all of its various forms, the fellowship of other followers of Jesus, and in your prayer, you will come to know more and more in your awakened heart that you have been made right. Now, once again, I think this is very different for everyone the holy spirit works with each of us as individuals there is no cookbook for experiencing this internal witness of the spirit some have described extraordinary experiences a brilliance of light a feeling of complete peace a kind of ecstatic rapture that may last for only a brief moment or go on for hours I've not had such an experience. 
I mean, when I look back over my life, I, I, I can recall moments. I mean, one when, one when I was in, in, in middle school, I was a middle school student, and I, seventh grade, very alone, very unhappy because we had just moved to a new school at the beginning of that year, and it was, it was less than pleasant. And once, when I was lighting the candles on the altar, I think it was for a wedding that my dad was officiating, all of a sudden I felt the hairs on my back of my neck and my arms stand up. And I, and I felt very reverent. And I remember bowing very low before the altar, not just the little head bob genuflect that we do, but a bow from the waist and someone came up to me after the service and asked why did you you do that and and, and I told him well, I don't know it felt like the thing to do or something profound like that and he gave me 10 bucks <laughs> I wondered if that's when I was called to the ministry <laughs> look I still have those moments I still have times as your pastor, when I speak the forgiveness of sins or the words of institution, or when I haven't preached for a month. But there's a struggle here between seeking such experiences or thinking that only ecstatic experiences are qualified as a true witness of the Spirit with your spirit. Martin Luther was right when he directed us not to our feelings as the evidence of the witness of the Spirit to our spirit, but to the absolute rock-solid testimony of the word of our baptism and of the Lord's Supper, because it is in these ordinary things that the Spirit testifies with our spirit, and sometimes that may even come with extraordinary feelings. So what is this Spirit's witness? What do the Word and baptism and the Lord's Supper say? They say that you are a dearly loved, forgiven, born again, bound for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth, son or daughter of the one and only, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, holy, just, gracious, merciful, kind, good, and loving, triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you, my friends, are not more than that, as if you could add something to it, but you are never, ever any less than that. That's the destination. That's the vista, the waterfall, the wildflowers, the mountain peaks. A daily, hourly, moment-by-moment -moment certainty in your awakened heart that you are God's sons and daughters, not in some generic sense by virtue of being created by him. In that sense, all are children of God, but in the very specific sense of having been adopted by God through the blood of Jesus, given his name, all your debts of sin have been paid, and all God has 
is now yours. And then Paul had to go and add this to the end of verse 17. But don't you see that's, that's where the rubber actually meets the road. Because all of those beautiful destinations that I saw on vacation only came with the suffering of 1,500 feet of elevation gain and two to three miles of walking. We're going to hear more about, about this suffering in the next couple of weeks. But today, let me end with a prayer. A prayer that one of our elders coincidentally sent out this past week. Pray it with me. It goes like this. Lord Jesus. I was listening to a podcast this week, and the speaker observed that everyone wants to be strong, but no one wants to be sore. Meaning that we want the results without going through any discomfort. Podcast went on to connect that point to our spiritual lives, for we often pray, Lord, that you would make us more Christ-like, but then instead of asking you, as we should, for strength to endure the trials of this life, we turn right around and ask you to make our lives safer, more prosperous, more comfortable. Help me to understand and embrace that I must surrender my life and lay everything at the foot of the cross. Help me to hold nothing back. By the power of your Holy Spirit, please help me be fully committed to you and to rejoice even at the trials of this life because they're refining my faith. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in this true faith to life everlasting. Amen.